listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. So you've made it back to the Making Data Simple series. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm Al. Today I'm with Paul Zakopoulos. And uh, I give you a title, but the title says TBD, which is probably perfectly fitting <laughs> with Paul because we could go anywhere, and that's that's exactly what we'll we'll likely do. But but Paul, Paul is the vice president of Big Data Cognitive Systems. I can tell you this about. Him. I'm going to let him introduce himself because I can't do it justice. But he's got a ton of energy. We just talked about that before we jumped on the podcast. I asked if he had his, he, he had his uh, coffee, and he said if he did, it, it would be bad. <laughs> and I know what he means. He, he's great with client engagement. He's really uh, very technical, but he can sell. He's award, an award-winning speaker and author. I know he's written like, and we got to talk about this as we go along here, but he's written like 19 books, 350 articles. He's been with IBM over 24 years. He's out of Ontario, the Toronto lab, I believe. And here, here's what I know about Paul. I was thinking about this before I jumped on. And you know you've made it under just one litmus test. And that is like Madonna, Rihanna, Tiger, Oprah, Paul Z. He's one name, so you know that he's made it. Welcome, Paul. Thank you for coming to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, hey, thanks. First, I'm impressed uh, that you got my name right, but I guess after all these years, you'll, you'll land on it. And uh, when I saw that 2BD on the title, I didn't know whether I still had a job or a new one. So I'll assume <laughs> that we just didn't have that. But hey, a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to join you guys. are doing great stuff here. Well, you know, I, like, I don't know why we had a TBD, but like I said, I think it's perfectly fitting. So for those of you who don't know you, I don't know how because you're a, a social animal here. Uh, could you describe yourself, what you do? You know, I, I think when I think, Paul, I think tech sales. I think uh, very strategic. I think competitive. I know you've switched roles at IBM several times, but it seems like you're still the same guy driving overall technology evangelism, and I, that, that's all in, the, in, in huge form of recognition, by the way. So tell us what you do. Yeah, thanks. Um, actually, the, the TVD title is right because I do a bit of everything. And, you know, in this conversation, I'm sure many of you are looking at how do I build my career at IBM, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on, but I think almost everybody's title should have some TBD in it. So, you know, I, I ran Texas, just to let you know my history, it's like 23, 24 years at IBM. I spent actually six years, maybe seven, maybe longer, in the lab, in the ID team, in information development, and would kind of learn how to learn technology and how to write and how to communicate and that kind of stuff. Then I went out and uh, worked on uh, technical pre-sales, and then I did a bunch of competitive stuff, and then I did some OM stuff, back to dev. I, I seem to do a lot of different roles. And then so today now I lead skills and uh, for cognitive systems, and it is very much analytics-driven, despite it feeling like it's a hardware brand. It's a, it's a heck of a lot more than that. So in between all those areas, I do whatever it takes to get our storyline out to clients. I will tell you, our clients are so guilty of not knowing what they should know. We don't always get the right uh, tip of the hat by the press, and we have an amazing story here. So my job is, how do I get more IBMers talking about our amazing story? And that's pretty much what I do. And by the way, I should say, I do it in different ways. Some are in formal ways. Here's the learning agenda for a bunch of IBMers, and I do it informally outside of IBM, referencing to the social work you were talking about. 
Well, I think, you know, like I said, you've been in various places within IBM, and IBM's a big company, but I think that it's amazing testament to you that uh, you don't know what brand you're in because you speak IBM, you speak technology. I think that's, that's terrific. The other thing, I'll give you some more recognition. <laughs> the passion I don't always talk about that I have is coaching. I love to coach. I, like, I think it really comes from I want to inspire people. It's just fun. And two things that I've learned from you very well, among many others, but two things is one, you're very vulnerable. You'll just come in and you'll say what you mean and mean what you say. And I think that serves you extremely well on the social scene. It isn't, you know, all, uh, you know, a facade. You, 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 you talk the truth and, and a lot of positivity, which, which I, I respect. And secondly, I got to tell you, I use the technology maturity curve. You remember the maturity curve? Did you create that? Yeah, because that's I use right. The, yeah. I use that in almost every client discussion I'm in now. And I've talked about it like several times on this podcast just as well. I think it's a great way, you know, you, you just said it a minute ago, it's hard. Clients are, are, are trying to find their way just like everybody else in this industry. And it's a great way to kind of set the stage, figure out where their current state is, and then lead them to that desired state. Yeah, so let me, I'll tell you on that curve, that was uh, Harriet, uh, Harriet Freeman was on there and Rob Thomas and the three of us got together and we're kind of different versions of it. It's ironic you brought that up because I still use it today with clients, but here's why I use it. And if you watch any of my presentations these days, um, I do not lead with, I lead to. I, a big recommendation I'll give for everybody when you want to make a difference into the field is to read a book called The Challenger Sale. I read one book a year, despite writing books and I read lots of articles. I read one book a year, and for the last eight years, I've read the same damn book every single year, and this is that book. <laughs> and it tells you, it, you know, that either means I'm stupid or this book is really good, right? But what it tells you, folks, is how business is done today. And we're not coming in there and talking to clients about Watson, 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 System PZ, here are all the function feature benefits of DB2 and all that kind of stuff. That's not the conversation right, that you want to have. So that maturity curve is a way to create conversations that spark trust. And from trust, right, comes sales. So when I go to a client, I'm like, listen, folks, you're on this journey to AI. You're climbing the AI ladder. Here's the curve. You're basically spending money to save money. You're spending money to make money. And then I map them to the curve. And let's go talk about where in this curve I can help you. If you're doing what I call renovation, spending money to save money, well, geez, I can move you to the cloud, save on that kind of management stuff. I can accelerate your workloads. And if you're innovating, spending money to save money, let's talk about what we're doing around something like Watson Studio Local or Watson Studio. So it is about the kind of conversations you have. And I will tell you to this day, guys and gals, like I give a presentation to a bunch of folks in systems, and I don't even get to how fast the processor is till I about got maybe 10 minutes left do I talk about the performance of the system. Those are the conversations clients want to hear. I, I totally agree with you. It's funny you say that. Don't lead to, or don't lead with, lead to. I like that. But here's the, here's the question I already have. So you've convinced me on the challenger sale. I will go get that immediately. So you sold me. But how is it a guy that writes as many books as you? Yeah, where are you getting all your information then if you only read one book a year? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a great question. I'm a relentless learner. Like I gotta, you guys are recording this, so I'm either going to give away some good secrets or some of my bosses or IBM HR is going to come and say, wait a minute, what's he doing? So, you know, um, that's what we're trying to do is I'm trying yeah. to get your secrets, dude. 
<laughs> yeah. So, you know, what, what it, I don't know if it's the second or third law of thermodynamics. I only got like a C plus in physics back in the day. But I would tell you, without exception, everything requires additional energy in order to maintain and grow itself. So where do I get my information? I scour the Internet. In certain topics, I go and figure out who's the who. And I just incessantly read and research. And I will tell you, folks, one thing at IBM is we're getting overrun with meetings, right? And we're allowing them to get on our calendar. And we're not defending our learning space. And this is not only critical for the success of this company and the folks in front of clients, but it's critical for you uh, in terms of your own personal careers. Look at this AI renaissance is what I call lift, shift, rift, or cliff territory. Not just for organizations, but for individuals. And you cannot be left behind on this learning curve. And the unfortunate thing here is tech years are like dog years, right? Like they're so fast. And so what do I do? Like if it's AI, I go and read Adam Getchy, Adrian Rosebrock is great, great stuff. If you're trying to get an easy introduction to AI, I take some courses. I subscribe to uh, Medium, a bunch of folks there. I follow a bunch of key IBMers. And I, here's the key. I reserve myself every week 10 hours for learning. Every day I try to actually block out a two-hour block. I can't do it all the time. Sometimes I've blocked out six hours to catch up. But I sit there and learn, 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 and learn. And that's where the inspiration for books and writing comes from, is I have a quest for never-ending learning. And that road path never ends, and, uh, and that's, that's where it comes from. Look, I think I think never-ending learning at this point in time is is the the survival mechanism. I mean, you cannot do that. I was. It's funny you say that because uh, just yesterday we had a speed mentoring here in in the lab that I'm in, Leewood, and I actually did a summar, summarization of all the 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 hints and tips that I gave folks. And the one thing I said is exactly. You know, similar to what you you talked about, you've got to protect time. And they look at me like I'm crazy because there are so many meetings, there's so many things to do, and work will fill your day. But in the morning, I always dedicate uh, like two hours of learning. Unfortunately, today Steve, our producer, took one of those hours away from me on this podcast. <laughs> I let it go. <laughs> you nailed <laughs> it. I'm telling you. Today. <laughs> I, I jumped off a call right here. There was a call, and I jumped off of it. And I said, I got more important things to do, like tell people about how to engage themselves at IBM and how to find a higher gear. Look at, you said it, protect your calendar. Now, there's certain people who can get on my calendar whenever, okay? We all live in that life. Uh, my boss once told me that I have to dislike 20% of my job. I'm good with that. But, you know, I love to learn, so I'm going to love another 40% of my job, and my job is learning. It just, it never ends. And I have seen thousands of careers, folks, and I have grown some folks out of university into published authors, some to directors, to band tens. If I have to separate the who's always on the fast curve, who's always the bigger differentiator, the one thing I can tell you, it's not your degree, it's not what school you went to, right? It is what is your aptitude to self-learn. Those who self-learn are always ahead in this company, always ahead in the marketplace. I, I spent a full hour on how to do that, and people were, were you know, writing things down uh, as fast as they could, which I was, you know, somewhat surprised with, because, you know, I was talking about how leaders have unlimited bandwidth or seemingly unlimited bandwidth, great leaders 
because it's about influence, about protecting your time. We talked about email jail. I, I said, look, you know, a tip and trick that I have with that is I file all my email into like actions, read, and then maybe someday I can, and there's learning. And I do that first. It's amazing after you do that, you only get back to the, you know, the very top ones that you need to address. Otherwise, that other stuff is just, you know, wasting your time. But you spending your time on somebody else's problems, whether your own. And the other thing that I think you do extremely well that I think you alluded to is something I believe in, like job hacking. So you're right. 20% of your job you got to do that you don't like. That's for somebody else, maybe somebody even up the flagpole, whatever. But then the rest of the time, you hack your job to the job that you inspire or to be or, or the person you inspire to be, the job that you want to have. And I find that if you do that, it all falls in together. You're doing something that you're passionate about. You have autonomy, mastery, and purpose. You come in every day uh, knowing what you, you know, you're excited. And then you, uh, it, it, it aligns with your current job. It's not like you're off in left field because you're in that job for a reason. Anyway, you do that extremely well. Well, guys, here's what I'll tell you. Uh, passion is, my, is your pulse. And uh, I, just on a personal perspective, folks, you know, it's been 23, 24 years with IBM. And, and there's been way more ups and downs and I'm keeping it real here. I'd be, I'd be lying if I didn't say in 24 years that I ever think about doing my trade someplace else. It's, it's one of the great things at IBM is we're able to get over those kinds of lulls and have way more highs. And this is an incredible place to actually grow whatever you want. It's probably one of the biggest benefits that people don't realize here coming out of school, what you're capable of. I just look at my journey. But what was core to that is I had terrific leadership that allowed me to hate 20% of my job, but define what those jobs were going to be because I kept my skills up. Right? I could create new types of jobs, and I had that support and leadership. And I'm going to tell you, if you get into a job that you hate, 10 hours is going to feel like 80. And a 70-hour job in something you love feels like 40. And I have turned down jobs outside of IBM at points that would have doubled my income. It wasn't the right job. I have turned down promotions inside IBM to the next level. People thought I was crazy, but I knew I wouldn't wake up and make it feel like a 20-hour work week when I was putting 60. So know your navigational compass and follow that, and that will that's a great uh, – little piece of advice I'll give you. We agree again. I mean, when people ask me why IBM, you know, my leadership, and it all depends on leadership, I, I think, but they've allowed me to be an entrepreneur in a big company, like do podcasts, things like that. And, um, you know, I, I get more exposure to different parts of the industry within IBM than I would in, in a startup. In fact, I had a recruiter come the other day. He was really pressing hard. And then he looked at some of the stuff that I was doing, the exposure that I had, and he said, you might need to just stay where you are. I've never had anybody tell me that before, right? He said, "That's you, that's pretty cool stuff that you're influencing." I said, "Yeah, that's that's why I've not I've not made the switch as of yet." It anyway. makes me it, it makes me laugh when I, sometimes I get into these entanglements, if you will. I know I'm not going to go into quantum theory. I'm talking about entanglements in social. When I when I when I talk pro, with pride about some of the stuff we're doing at IBM, I'm telling you, most people have no idea just how great we are. And sometimes I'm frustrated. We can't get out of our own way, right, in certain things. I mean, that's, it's a big company. We're like more people here than maybe the country of Iceland. So, but we do incredible stuff. You see what comes out of research. And, you know, I talk to these new hires like, oh, I want to go work for this startup or Google, and why would I work for IBM? And I'm like, because you can create your career and learn about anything in IBM. Look at 
I don't know if this surprises folks or not. I never even took a computer course before coming to IBM. So I look at my journey to executive travel the world, working with a TV show 60 Minutes, became a public speaker, a writer, an author, became technical. That was because I brought a positive energy of learning never ends, and IBM was a wonderful place for an artist to learn how to paint and sculpt. And uh, it's a great company, and uh, folks who are listening, it's whatever you want it to be, and, and I'll leave it at that. Well, you do get fired up, though, but you seem to always get fired up in a positive way. I mean, you're looking for the solution, not to why something doesn't work. It's always how you can versus why you cannot. So kudos to you. Hey, i gotta, I got to key off that last thing you said. I know you started at IBM straight out of college like 24 years ago. To my, you said 23, 24, whatever it is. Uh, you'd never taken a computer course, and now you've written like 20 books, articles, etc. How in the hell does that happen? Um. So I came here with an undergrad in economics. And by the way, IBM paid for my MBA as well. Like, I mean, just keep looking at this transformation uh, of myself. And um, so here's what I'll tell you. It's 19 books. I'm actually uh, looking for the 20th to retire uh, <laughs> from book writing. Because I'm going to tell you, you don't make money writing books. I'm going to get back to that in a second. So it's not like any of those where, you know, I think I wrote one dummies book, which did pretty well, about 20,000 copies. But technology changed so fast. So it's not like I wrote Fifty Shades of Big Data and, you know, <laughs> I'm this best-selling author or something like that, right? Okay, so here's how that started, right? I come into IBM, and they're like, you're not technical enough for this job. And uh, my first hiring boss still works at IBM today, Fred Gandolfi, go look him up. Terrific management mind, brilliant guy. He goes, you know what, Paul, listen, my bosses don't want me to hire you because you're not technical. They're looking for a degree, but I see something in you. How, how do you come and prove something to me? So first off is always offer to bet yourself if you believe in yourself. That's one thing I will tell you on that journey, right? So I said, I'll tell you what. Let me come and work here for a couple weeks, and I'll write something up for you, and then you tell me if it's good enough. So I worked for free for IBM for two weeks, and he asked me to go write a little chapter on, and I knew nothing about programming, on um, C pointers. So I wrote it up, and it wrote like C and C plus pointers, or C, uh, yeah, C plus pointers is, is what I put. And uh, this will prove I'm not a programmer, right? And he comes back to Dave. He's going to give me a job, and he hands down the, the booklet I wrote. It was like 10 pages. He said, you know, go and learn this technology. And it says on the front, C plus is a drink. It's C and C++ pointers. You're hired. And that's how I got the job going. And, and I think that challenge to me told me I never felt I was uh, like I was an expert. So I wake up every day and I have this newbie badge. And, you know, I, I started a journey in AI just like maybe a year ago. I didn't know what a neural network was. I had to go back and figure out calculus. I wasn't good at it the first time. I'm not good at it right now. It is this incessant bit that I always feel like I'm behind, and so that makes me want to get ahead. And I will just incessantly learn, learn, learn. And, and I think that's where that came from. And, and when you're doing that and you've seen these epoch changes, you know, we've seen the change of cloud. I better learn about cloud. We've seen the change in Docker and, and container management vis-a-vis -vis Kubernetes. I better go learn about that. We went from databases to Hadoop and data lakes, I better learn about Hadoop. Then we went to Spark, I learned about Spark. Then we went to AI, and so that's it. Just wake up every day and say, I'm never going to be done ever learning, and that's the path. Yeah, but so you say you don't 
make money writing books, get it. But I think to your point, you you learn and you learn excessively in terms of writing books. The one thing that I try to do, if I, if I can't figure out something, I'll write it down or I'll try. I, I, there's a ton of stuff that I have that I haven't put in blogs that I, I didn't get time to put it in a blog and I should have. But I, I, I write all this stuff down and I try to even put it in sentences because it's kind of like teaching. If you got to go teach a class on neural networks, all of a sudden you're going to have to learn it real quick. And, and, and your, body, or your, your mind will make you do so. But something that must be organic to you is that you must be vulnerable in that. There's, there, I was talking with the team the other day about this. There, there's perfection and there's vulnerability. And there's a lot of folks out there that try to be perfect. And so that keeps them in their box because you don't want to make a mistake. You don't want to try something new. You don't want to change because, man, you may not be good at it. But if you're vulnerable, you say, you know what, the hell with it. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try to learn it. You know, I didn't do math good the first time. I'm going to try it again. Those folks tend to, you know, excel. So where does your energy come from? Why do you get up every day and you say, hey, look, I'm going to keep going. And like you said, you know, maybe you weren't good at math or neural networks or whatever the case may be. Why do you keep going? Well, here, first, I'll tell you, when I, when you go and you invest in your skills, then you'll have an air of, I'm not going to say the word confidence, you'll have an understanding of where you work. And I like to think at IBM, you know, listen, if you walk around every day and you're like, oh, my God, I've got to keep my head down, I'm lucky to have a job, whoa, right? I was on a call where a general manager was speaking and a band 10 was there and she was saying something that, you know, probably should have, I don't know if the word corrected, but would have used some input from this band 10. I pinged the band 10. I go, hey, speak up. And the band 10 responds to me and says, I'm not supposed to be on this call, so I can't speak. And I'm like, well, then don't be on the call. So if you have this confidence in your skills, then you create this relationship at IBM, uh, which is one that is a mixture of I belong here, it's a privilege to work for IBM, and it's a privilege for IBM to have me work for them. That's where you get to with the skills. And then from that, you can go drive kind of my ethos. Look, at, I'm going to wake up every day, and I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, right? Uh, it won't be on purpose, but I'll make mistakes. And it's not kind of making mistakes, which is the mistake. I think it's learning nothing from your mistakes, and so I don't mind going forward and failing and failing fast and trying new things and new ideas. And, and I've made mistakes. Al, look, I've got the scar tissue to prove it. Um, but uh, I think at the end of the day, when you keep learning in front and you mix that with the other piece of the equation, I probably haven't spent enough time on here, and that is being connected to the field, clients, and socially. So the grassroots of what the movements are, you'll find the right way every time. So in my mind, that vulnerability leads to confidence that you mentioned. And I think people confuse. Being humble doesn't mean you, you can't be decisive. You can't be a very strong leader. You can't chime in when, when somebody is saying something that you disagree with. I mean, you've got to put yourself out there. And, yeah, you can't be afraid. There can be no fear. Yeah, and, you know what, Al? I'll tell you, a lot of folks who don't know me or have just met me, they'll think I'm the most confident. You want to talk about vulnerability? I'm going to share something with you. They'll think I'm the most confident guy and I walk around and all that stuff. A lot of the themes that I push in IBM aren't because they're my idea. They're because they're cooked up with me and eight people on my team who surround me who are smarter than I am. And the confidence comes from knowing that I've shopped my ideas with a bunch of these people. But to this day, you know, as a 
kind of recognized speaker author outside of IBM. You know, I still sit on that, you know, I was just the other day, I was getting up in front of a thousand people, sitting in that chair, they're about to call me, and I'm saying to myself, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. Why are these people going to listen to me? I don't know enough about this. So as sure as I might look confident on the outside, I'm scared as shit on the inside. And, <laughs> and, 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 and that's it's what keeps fun, you right? learning. Yeah, like, remember when I told you you're not going to ever be done the learning? I know I'm not good enough, and so I keep reading and reading. And here's the tip I'll give you. The, we all get butterflies, folks, with our ideas and when we're speaking. The difference between those who succeed and, I guess, the amateurs would be that those who succeed get those butterflies to fly in formation. And I think that's – one thing to always get. You're always going to get comfortable being uncomfortable because it's going to be that way for a long time. And then just go with it and use that momentum. Well, I've got a lot of tips here now. <laughs> and so, you know, cause I do agree also that you, you are who you hang out with. In other words, my, you've got to surround yourself with people that are smarter than you and get comfortable being uncomfortable. And the other one, what was it? The, the, get, the difference is getting butterflies to fly in formation. Love it. Yeah, we're all going to get nervous, folks. We're all going to doubt ourselves. Um, look at I had this conversation with Rob Thomas, right? And I was like, Rob, I mean, you're so confident. And he's like, Paul, I'm always learning. I'm always reading. I'm always writing. And so a lot of the things I'm sharing with you are what I've seen from people who inspire me. Picciano, uh, Rob Tommy, and those, uh, Elise Passarelli, all three of those share the same ethos I've just described. And I think that's the other neat thing. In my 23 years, one of the most rewarding things, if people ask me, what's the most rewarding thing at IBM? Was it getting that TV time, becoming a speaker and an author? Was it being an executive traveling the world? I said, you know what it was? It was meeting new young talent or, or, or folks in the organization and growing them. These people got to write books. These people got to move on. That was my passion um, and sharing this type of information with them uh, to help them. And, and I learned that from the folks I just described, from Elise, from Bob, from Rob. Um, and they just have this tremendous DNA and their ethos that myself as a leader can get as most – as osmosis. And Al, I see you do it as well. And then go and spread it for others, right? And that's true leadership, so – uh, a lot of what I'm telling you comes from those folks. So I got to give them credit. No, those are and those for those listeners. Those are uh, some of the executives here at IBM, and, and that comes back to coaching and coaching to inspire. Hey, let me pivot just a bit here. I'll, I'll come back to some of the, the topics that we just d- discussed. But you've um, you're obviously thinking a lot about big data. Uh, that's you know I spend a lot of my time. I mean, it's, it's to me it's all about the data. And but you've also I've seen you do some pitches around uh, the Internet of Things and, and where we're where we're headed. And the interesting thing to me is, you know, I was just looking at this the other day, and I may get the the statistics wrong, but I think in 2017, uh, IoT devices increased till you know like 31 percent, something like that, eight 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 billion that year. I think the estimate for 2020 is 30 billion devices and a, a, a value of like $7 trillion. It's my estimation, you know, we're doing a lot of things with machine learning. We're doing a lot of things with AI. But to me, the, the next space, and I thought I heard you say this, so I want to get your comments. Man, we still got a lot of work to do in IoT, and that's going to change the world here coming up. You still yeah, the same so, way? Or? Yeah, listen, um, it's not just IoT that will change it. IoT, incorporation of weather, 
uh, chatbots and blockchain. Uh, but I'll talk about IoT for a moment and because it really lends to this problem that businesses have, right? So first off, let's just define IoT. We live in a world where everyone can talk to everyone using social networks and emails and chats. And, and what IoT is is this world today where everything talks to everything. And when you look at kind of these emerging tech trends like blockchain, which will disrupt trust and do for trust what the Internet did for search, you're going to see brand new kinds of businesses. So you'll hear about these things called DAOs, Distributed Autonomous Organizations. They will be smart contracts implemented on the blockchain, and their sellers will be IoT sensors, right? There'll be an IoT sensor on a production line or, or on an outhouse, right, or in a bathroom to order supplies from a supply chain company. Um, and you can see this kind of new digital economy emerging again. And so when you tell me, you know, what are we doing in the analytics stuff, I look at my journey in analytics. I had 23 years in analytics pretty much. And when I first started writing my books, I talked about finding the needle in the haystack, okay? Um, and so I'd write all about that. That's your classic. And then I wrote this book called Hadoop for Dummies, which is all about data lakes and big data. And looking back on that book, I like – so did we really think as a society that we would find more needles by adding more hay, <laughs> right? And so today, <laughs> folks are going to be, with IoT, stuck with finding needles in stacks of needles. And that's why AI is going to matter. And the problem today, and every single client I talk to, is that their data decisioning curve, if you were to grow, uh, uh, do a curve, right, where X equals Y, so it would go straight up 45-degree angle on the Cartesian plane, I mean, that's data collection. It's steep. It's going to get steeper because of IoT. It's going to get steeper because of weather. It's going to get steeper because of lots of things. But what is your – so you get an A-plus in data – uh, data collection. What's your data understanding curve? Oh my gosh, it's pretty flat. Folks, there's a massive gap. You get about a C minus. And that gap between data understanding and decisioning and data collection is massive, and IoT is going to make it bigger, and people need help. And that's why IBM is so pivoting around AI. Uh, and that's, that's why. Nice. Hey, I've got a few questions I've got to ask you before you're out of here. Okay. So every time I see you, you look like you just got out of the gym. Is that true? <laughs> How do you make time for that, man? Right. Yeah. You know, whatever. I don't feel that way at all. I, I, listen, um, but, you know, I will turn that question into something about personal growth. Okay. You need to put your priorities in order, and you need to decide that what matters. If I'm not at the gym, then I'm not going to have the endless energy that I have. Right? Or I'm going to get more down on myself. Like I'll, you know, again, I'm going to be open to you guys. If I'm not at the gym, I'll let the stress of the day get to me. Maybe I'll start to fall towards a depression or I'll be unengaged or I won't be as positive. So, how do I get that anger out? I try to do it with golf, Al, but then I go golf. I take a half day off in golf, and I came back more pissed off than before I went out. So, so I decided to take those four hours of golf and put it into the gym. So gym's important to me. It's four hours a week, guaranteed. If I can do more, great. Learning's important to me. It's 10 hours a week. If I can do more, great. And I make time for that. And this is a problem I see internal at IBM and with individuals all the time, is how do you create prioritization? And too often we get our priorities out of sync in life and in business. And some days, folks, 
You're going to have all top priorities. And I've always told all my employees, you're not allowed to do that. I've had my bosses come to me and they give me 80 things to do. And I'm like, you have 100 bucks for a meal. Here's the menu. What do you want to buy? And to give it more of a cruder analogy, because I literally just had a discussion with someone in offering management about this. And we're getting stuff done. And I'm like, look at, I know you're cut in resources. What else is new? Resource dynamics is nothing new here. So you have 10 fingers, and unfortunately, one's got to come off. So go and decide it. Because sitting in, a, to use a sailing term, sitting in chains or irons gets you nowhere. So look at, if it's, I'm left-handed, so it's my ring finger on my right, um, then so be it. You know, that's a pretty crude type of example, but that's the number one thing you guys can do internal and for your own life. Get your priorities with supreme clarity and understand sometimes important stuff isn't going to get done. Oh, man, you're, look, you, you, this is great, man. You, I like the vulnerability. Again, this is, is fantastic. But let me ask you this. You say 10 hours of studying. Got it. That's about 25% of your week. Uh, not counting weekends. Um, you, yeah, some you, of that's personal, just so you know. But it, it, it was fair to say a lot of that should be done at work as well. Yeah, no, I think I think it's part of the day. It's part of your job, right? But what does your day look like then? Tell me what the Paul Z day looks like. <laughs> All right. Uh, today, uh, I started work at 6. I got up and I cleared out my email. So I'm pretty clean on my email. We all have our different algorithms or strategies. Like I, unfortunately, like some of them work, some of them don't. Like I have a couple of my guys who used to work for me and some still do, um, who treat their inbox and notes uh, like a data lake. Right? It's kind of like, like I look at it, total number of documents, fifty thousand. I go, what the hell? So I don't know how um, they do that. That makes yeah. no sense to me. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, yeah. teacher. So I've literally gotten, like, my entire org, we transformed into Slack. We reduced our email by 35%. You know, how many times you get an email that says, reply all by 80 people, and it's just a discussion, everyone's on it, or why do I got to get 10 changes to a calendar invite that tells me you added Paul's accomplice to the meeting? Like, and so one is, uh, my day starts out nice like this, because as a leader, I put time into saying it's unacceptable for us to operate the way we operated 10 years ago. Right? Like, here's another HR thing I get in trouble for. You remember when Zoom is the rage, right? And now, I guess now we're in WebEx and everybody's kind of on the videos. And I like that. It brings us together. But New Ways to Work isn't leveraging the webcam on my laptop from 10 years ago so I can see you. I, it's kind of new. New Way to Work is Slack. I love the transformation that went on under Rob, Rob's organization into Slack. So because I put that effort in, my day goes a little different. I wake up and I'll spend about half hour on email. Clean it all up. That's all I need to do. I keep on top of my email. That's important to me. I delete what's not important. Al, you had mentioned your filing algorithm, same kind of thing. And then I'll put uh, an hour right then in that morning when it's kind of quiet into reading, into reading or building some content. Then I got on a call today, a corporate call, um, and it was wasting my time, so I got off that call, to be honest. It was just <laughs> – dude, it was like 30 people. And you know, I'm yeah, calling, and I'm like – wherewithal to get off. That's, that's the difference between you and other people. Exactly. Yeah, you are not allowed – and this got nothing to do with me being a VP. I'm going to tell you that right now. Like I said, there's people who can get on my calendar all the time. I go on calls I don't like. But by and large, you are not allowed to waste my time. My time is precious, not because I'm a VP – 
but because I know what I can do with that time, build a demo and connect with clients. So, so I did some learning, got off there, got on with you guys for, for a call. I'll get off this, check my email, and then I'm going to go and build, uh, start to build a demo for the field. Because in the last presentation I did, I had um, an algorithm go in and look at, I was thinking about 500 pictures of FIFA soccer players and then group them. And it did such a good job that if you're familiar with Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, when they made that bust of him, it looked nothing like him, the statue. It doesn't even put him in that statue. And people are like, oh, we'd love to do that demo. So I'm going to write up how everyone else can do it so they can activate them. Fantastic, man. I got one more question for you, and then I'm going to let you go. What are you most proud of? Like uh, career-wise? Well, you can say whatever you want. Career-wise, uh, like- I'm proud of my daughter. <laughs> I'm proud of my daughter, and here's why. Uh, and then I'm going to tell you a career one, right? And, okay. You know, I'm a hyper-personal guy, which is what you get. Look, my daughter's on a brand-new horse. She had won uh, the B Provincial Championships in, uh, in Ontario, Canada, in horseback riding. And uh, then she had a really bad year. She went from the penthouse to the outhouse, hero to zero, right? And then she got this new horse, um, and it's an XRSCMP horse. It's a massive horse. My kid's 13. She's riding this huge, huge horse. His name's Einstein. And when you're in a horse game, the, the horses have a name, but they also have a show name. The show name is better than a boyfriend, which anyone who has daughters could appreciate. That's the greatest name ever, right? And in one of her competitions, that horse caught a hoof, wiped out, and fell on her from the waist down, 2,000 pounds. And I didn't want her competing for the rest of the year. Uh, that kid, and she'd been having a shitty year, by the way, right? She hasn't won anything all year. She's getting to know the horse. The next competition was two weeks later. She got on that horse. She showed up, and she won the whole qualifying event. Oh. She didn't make it to the finals this year, but she won that event. And some man came over to me and said, your daughter's either the bravest person I've ever met or she's batshit crazy. <laughs> so that was my proud moment of the year. <laughs> that's like right? the best, best thing to say, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's like it was the proud – because I didn't want her – and there's a life lesson in this when you believe in yourself. I did not want her competing because of her safety. I was scared for her, and it was her accident. And she basically came back to me and said, forget you, Dad. You don't stop me in the way of what I go to achieve. So I was proud of that, and there's a life lesson for everyone here. Ginny Rometty even says it. Don't let someone else define you. And you know what, folks? That may happen at IBM. Some manager, I've had it, didn't think I was all that special, but I thought I could be special, and it just made me work harder. So don't let that define you. And then most proud at IBM is, honestly, the opportunity. And the saddest part of that is I bet you not every single employee wakes up every day and says to themselves, in this company, I have the most incredible opportunity in the world if I want to be a learner and an influencer. Whether I go into analytics, I want to be a security expert, um, whatever it is I want to be. And uh, that's what I'm most proud of this company is their, and I mentioned it earlier, uh, their inclusivity, you know, our, you know, our, what we're doing around our ethics and how we believe we can change the world and outcomes, especially in healthcare. And personally, the opportunity. I'm really proud of the opportunity IBM provides every employee. But you have to want to take it, and you have to want to define yourself as a person that followed the opportunities in front of you. And that does not mean there won't be friction. It doesn't mean that some managers aren't good. We've got good and bad ones who create opaqueness so you can't see that opportunity, but know that it's here, and I'm proud at IBM because it's here. Nicely done, man. 
and I have to tell you, I, I hear what you're saying on the kids, and, and I tried to, I try to really, I don't want to say promote, what's the word I'm looking for, but uh, really push, you know, that it's okay to fail. I had one of my, my, my oldest daughter one time, the one, that, you know, I, they've all done things like this, but she went to her, uh, her piano recital, I mean, like 300 people, and she forgot her music. 300 people. The easiest thing for her to do is to sit there and say, to hell with it. You know, I'm, yeah, I forgot my music, I'm out today. She went up there and tried another song that she never played, and she didn't do it well. I mean, there was clearly didn't do it well. People are probably out there going, what the heck? Is this girl <laughs> practice or what? But she went up there and did it anyway. And How old me, is this daughter? She, when she did that, she was probably 12, 13, 14 maybe. Anyone find it incredible that as adults we're being inspired and learning stuff when we're 12 and 13 of, of the way we should operate? I mean, that's a great story. I love it. Hey, I'll leave you with one thing, even though I'm sure we're over, because I thought maybe you'd find this funny. So, so here we have, they announced Chloe, uh, now riding the ring, Chloe's a copless, uh, riding better than a boyfriend, right? And everyone's like, ha, ha, ha. And my daughter came to me at 13, and she's like, Dad, I don't know if I want to call him better than a boyfriend, uh, because what happens if it's not funny in a couple of years? And I'm like, oh, 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 Chloe, when you're like 16, 17, it will be more funny than ever, and then your next horse will be better than a husband, and the horse after that can be better than kids. You're set for life, so I thought I'd leave you with that one. Hey, you are freaking terrific. I got to tell you, you have helped. My Twitter is going to be perfect now. Now, listen to this. This is what I got from this, and this is what I'm going to end with. But you, you don't lead with, you lead to. Passion is your pulse. All, always offer to bet yourself. Always be a newbie. I added a couple here. Vulnerability, vulnerability leads to confidence. Being humble doesn't mean you, have to be, uh, you can't be decisive. You are who you hang out with. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Get butterflies to fly in formation. 25% of your time should be for education. If you're... If you're not paying for it, you're being sold. Leadership equals influence. Fish rots from the head. <laughs> uh, be two or three chapters ahead. Wait, wait, how do you say this? Two or, be two or three chapters ahead of the world. You don't need to be at the end of the book. I know there's another one out there that you often say is start by aiming for a 1% improvement. Yep. Get your priorities in order. What matters? Sitting in chains or irons, uh, yeah, sitting in chains or irons gets you nowhere, and you're not allowed to waste my time. Oh, there's one more. Yeah, don't let someone else define you. Eleanor Roosevelt, I think, had a great quote, quote and I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna mess it up here. But you know, the one I always like, and I always tell my kids is, no one can make you feel bad unless you let them, unless you give them permission. Dude, it's such a it's such an awesome quote. Look, I know we're over time. I got another talk we can do if you don't get too many thumbs down to this one. I want to talk to you about how to put the five things in order to grow your career. I'll tell you what those five pieces are. They apply whether you're a newbie, an executive, or whether you're 13 years old. Um, but don't let people define you. I, very personal, folks. I have had managers who thought I wasn't special here. Right? To some people, I'm a mountain. To other people, I'm a pothole. And it got to me sometimes. It made me sad. And, and I thought, well, was I better? Was I this? Was I that? Some of the biggest accomplishments in my entire life were because someone didn't think of me very highly. One person told me I wasn't a very good writer. And I was like, you know what? Mm, I'm going to go write these books. I was inspired to write books because of one ignorant manager's comment. 
right? I was inspired to become a speaker because I was doing all these speaking uh, engagements, and I told someone, oh, yeah, I do a lot of public speaking. They're like, you don't do public speaking. Come on, you present for IBM. So I became a professional public speaker outside of IBM. Go get inspired by what you can do. We gave you some tools and tips in here how to build your personal careers. But the number one overarching thing is, you know, we got great managers at IBM, some bad ones. Don't let anyone, I don't care whether it's work or not, don't let them define you. You will know who you are, and, and I'll leave it at that. Paul Z, everyone, you're, you're amazing, man. Thank you. Hey, so I much. love you too, Al. It was great. It was a good conversation. I appreciate it. We will have you back. This is fantastic. Look, you know, I need to, you know, I always talk about an accountability partner. I need to hook up with you even more often because w with our energy, we're either going to implode or we're going we're gonna to kill the world. <laughs> Let's do it, bro. And if you can uh, use some of your IoT sensors, try to get rid of this snowstorm that's coming down in Toronto right now. I already got it here in Kansas City. I could, I, I'll, I'll try to get it for you. All, All right. right. Take, Take care. See, See you guys. Bye. Bye. -bye. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out. Oh,